Hello, and welcome to the ARC Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's guest, Joel Rosenberg, is a master at inserting real-life current events and politics into his novels. It's what makes his writing so interesting and compelling over and over again. Because one of the things I try to do, Adam, as you know, is try to root my thrillers, which are fiction, in as much sort of granular factual detail that would cause someone to think, wow, that, that could happen. God forbid it did. We hope it never will, but that, that could happen, right? I mean, and that's not that far off. Today's guest is New York Times bestselling author, Joel Rosenberg. Joel is the author of many bestselling books, including his latest, The Kremlin Conspiracy. If you want to learn more about Joel, you can visit his website, joelrosenberg.com. Welcome to New York Times bestselling author, Joel Rosenberg, back to the Tyndale offices. Welcome to our podcast once again. Hey, it's great to be back in my annual pilgrimage to uh, Carroll Stream, Illinois, and yeah. uh, great, you know, glad to be with you guys. Yeah, I think it was almost exactly a year ago. I think it was. You were here talking about your previous book, Without Warning. Um, and uh, I think my suggestion back then, re-listening to the podcast, was that your next book should be science fiction or fantasy, but you didn't go that route. <laughs> True. Your next book is Kremlin Conspiracy, which comes out in March. March right? 6th. March 6th. Um, and my usual podcast co-host isn't here today, so I thought I would mix things up a little bit and and start with a quiz. If okay. You're okay with that. So I have <laughs> well, a, we'll see. I have, it's just a short two-question quiz. <laughs> okay. So this is, uh, this is a, who, who said this? Which... U.S. politician in 2012 uh, was criticized at the time for saying that Russia was the top or number one uh, geopolitical foe of the U.S. Uh, that would have been a presidential candidate, former governor Mitt Romney. Yes, you're right. See, you're good at this. Well. <laughs> and uh, which novelist, um, uh, U.S. novelist wrote, I'm personally convinced that Vladimir Putin is more dangerous than radical Islam. Well, it, it, it would have been Tom Clancy in his day, but since he's passed and no longer with us, I think that was me. <laughs> so you have something in common with, with Mitt Romney. and uh... <laughs> <laughs> Right. He has a few more cars and houses than I do. Yes. Uh, we differ with each other theologically. But, look, yes. So why did I shift? Right. I mean, I think, I think where you're probably yes, heading here is, okay, the Kremlin my, conspiracy, right. okay, Mitt said it then, everybody attacked him, you know, Sarah, Sarah Palin said she could see Russia from her house, right. she didn't actually say it that way, but it, <laughs> that is the way Saturday Night Live picked it up. Why Russia? And, you know, so let's start with what you specifically uh, cited, uh, an article I did with an interview or, uh, a month or two ago, and that is, yes, I have been writing about the threat of radical Islamism political Islam, violent Islam, uh, Islamic supremacy, uh, uh, not the vast majority of Muslims, but but this radical, violent subset. I've been writing about this since the beginning. The, right, the first novel I ever wrote was The Last Jihad. And, and of course, without warning, the most recent novel from 2017 is, is the conclusion of a series about the Islamic State, the rise of the caliphate, uh, genocidal movements of radical jihadists who, who want to kill everybody in their, in, their, in their wake, hoping to bring about their, their messiah, 
the Mahdi and to establish a, a global Islamic kingdom uh, of which everyone would have to bow down. That is a huge threat. One of the things we worry about, one of the things I worry about um, when I think of radical Islam is the, 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 the threat that a nation like Iran is going, or, or the Islamic State is going to somehow acquire nuclear warheads and the means to deliver them. And we have to remember that, that the Russian government already has a nuclear arsenal and the means to deliver them. And the question is, is the, you know, yeah, the Cold War is over. And for a long time, Russia has been not an ally, but certainly a partner uh, in lots of different areas. Um, and that's true. But when you look at the aggressiveness, uh, the military aggressiveness, of the current regime in, in the Kremlin. I maintain this is not only a dangerous regime, but uh, Vladimir Putin is becoming emboldened. Every time he invades a, a neighbor or sends troops into Syria or, or sells high-tech weaponry to Iran, no, there are no real lasting meaningful consequences. So he does it again and there are no consequences, and so he does it again. And what's happening, we're just watching a pattern. And, th- and, and when you have someone of, as evil as Vladimir Putin, who has a nuclear arsenal and has ballistic missiles and has submarines and all, everything that Iran doesn't have, that ISIS doesn't have, they'll never have, you say, well, where could this go? And let's say that's at least the makings of an interesting geopolitical thriller. Well, how closely um, does the current Russian uh, government, the, the real-life one, mirror your what's happening in your novel? Well, I, I really did want this to be fiction. And so uh, there are, you know, I, you know I, I, there are things in the novel that, that have parallels. And there are, uh, you know, because I'm, because one of the things I try to do, Adam, as you know, is try to root my thrillers, which are fiction, in as much sort of granular factual detail that would cause someone to think, wow, that, that could happen. God forbid it did. We hope it never will, but that, that could happen, right? I mean, and that's not that far off. Only in, I, I think the only time that I ever made a major figure, maybe I guess I did it twice, I, Yasser Arafat, um, was a factor in a novel years ago, my second one, The Last Days, and and then um, you know King Abdullah of Jordan uh, factored very prominently in uh, the third target, uh, the first hostage, and without warning. Otherwise, I, you know, I'm not really trying to deal with specific personalities, but am I trying to draw attention to? how dangerous the current regime in Russia is. Yeah, I, I actually, I am very worried about it. And I don't think most Americans are worried enough. If you ask, we actually did a poll uh, earlier in 2017. And we did ask, do you see Vladimir Putin and the regime in Russia as a clear and present danger to you? a little evocative of our Tom Clancy language. (laughs) Do you see Putin and and Russia as a clear and present danger to the national security of the United States, 
Israel and our allies. I think maybe it was even NATO allies. 71%, seven out of 10 Americans said, yes, I see them as a clear and present danger. So I think Americans are watching Putin and I think they instinctually get it. I don't think they could give you chapter and verse on all the things he's done to show his aggressive nature and that it's, he's, he's doing worse and worse and worse and no, the world isn't stopping him. But much of Washington, much of academia, much of the media, much of the, at the, at the opinion level, I, there's a serious disconnect. As, and that worries me, it bothers me. And so in some ways, I think the American people may be more likely to think, hey, this Kremlin conspiracy novel is, this is a real problem. And I might get pushback from the, the, the media, the, the, the political class, You're like, yeah, that's way overstating it. You're, over, you know, okay, it's fiction, fine. But I'm, I am really concerned in, in real life about it, uh, about where, where Putin's going, where, where, where Russia's going. It is, it's, it's a, it is, they're on a bad road unless they change course. Uh, there are bad things coming. Um, for our listeners, can you kind of uh, lay out or just give a general, without giving anything away, of course, the general plot and the, the, the different stories that uh, happen in the book? Sure. Um, so uh, basically you have um, a young man uh, by the name of Marcus Riker. Marcus is, um, we meet him early in his life, and we basically watch him over the course of uh, his you know, finishing college. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's in college at the time of September 11th. Um, uh, events in his life plus 9-11 uh, lead him to join the Marines. Um, he wants to defend his country. He's a, uh, he wants to fight for his country, protect his country. He, um, he ends up getting sent to Afghanistan where he, he is engaged in very, very ferocious combat on the front lines. Over time, he decides... What do I really do? Want, want to do with my life post Marines? And he and he he ends up um, going into law enforcement and specifically into the Secret Service. So we watch him emerge, and we're and throughout the book we're sort of the book is toggling back and forth between Marcus and a Russian by the name of Oleg Kraskin. Oleg is roughly the same age, but he, you know he's living in you know he's living in Russia. He's a lawyer. He's you know he he served in the in the Russian military, but you know as a as a as a jag basically as a as a as a lawyer, and he falls in love in college with the daughter of a rising Russian political leader, who the that leader ends up becoming first the prime minister of Russia and then the president, and as Oleg and, and this man's daughter fall in love and get married, he's now part of the first family of Russia. So, so what I'm building here is two completely different people, but in the Secret Service, Marcus is being drawn into, eventually he, he's on the presidential protective detail, the PPD. So he has direct access to seeing this world at the White House with the President of the United States. And then you have Oleg, a mirror opposite, uh, being drawn in by marriage and, and then other things right into the, the, the inner circle of the first family. And so we're watching 
events unfold in the geopolitical sphere from an American's perspective and a Russian perspective. Two young men who, who have you know, childhood sweethearts who are, are being drawn towards each other. That's where I have to stop because clearly all hell breaks loose. It's a Joel Rosenberg you know, thriller. Uh, bad things happen. And they happen quickly. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it, it's, you know, it, they happen from page one. But, uh, but I think it, the, these, I found it interesting to write about these two totally different type of people and see how might their lives intersect. And will they be enemies of each other or might they actually find a way to work together to stop a problem? Uh, and uh, I was undecided in certain areas well into it. Like I, I was writing it not knowing at first how that would play out. I, it was very refreshing, I would just also say, to shift off of the Middle East. There's, there are Middle East themes in this. Uh, Iran is, is, is a sub-theme uh, player in this. But, but it was actually, you know, after 17 years, 16 years of writing political thrillers mostly about radical Islam and and Middle East policy, you know, I really liked shifting gear, shifting locales, and creating completely new characters. Uh, we'll see what people think, but I, I got drawn into them. I, I started to either like them or hate them, depending on who they were. <laughs> yeah. Now, as, as you're writing these two characters, um, did you find similarities in them as far as their motivations and what drives them, or are they? distinctly different. I'm going to give you a Washington answer on that. Yes. <laughs> Next question. It's tough, you know, in this case, it's tough to to go forward on that where people are, you know, haven't read the novel yet. I'd love to do a I'd love to do a podcast, you know, maybe several months after the book comes out and start to talk about some of these these things. Um, because I find I think I think Marcus and Oleg are two of the most interesting characters that I've had the opportunity to create. And partly that, you know, from a writing challenge, and, 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 and poor Jeremy Taylor, who's my editor here at Tyndale, from an editing challenge, I wanted, to, I wanted you to not meet these two it, at the moment they meet. I wanted you to meet them younger. I wanted you to get to know them and see them in crises and all kinds of challenges. So when they converge, you have a sense of, who they are going in. You're not sure how they're going to interact. Um, there are parallels, uh, and, and it was interesting, but but um, how do you do that and still tell the rest of the story? Because the rest of the story is about, you know, an, you know, an evil emerging czar in Russia who thinks that having taken all kinds of aggressive actions in the West really you know, there being no consequences, what if I did this? And I'm not going to tell you, or at least the, my, the audience, uh, what this is, but it's bad. What, what, the, what the czar of Russia is planning is bad for America, it's bad for the world, it's going to be bad for Marcus, and, and the question is, is there any way to stop him? And... Uh, that's about as far as I think I can go without... Uh, Read the book to find out. Yeah, exactly. Now, I asked you about the, uh, how the Russian uh, government compares, but how about on the U.S. side? How does that closely... Does that closely parallel what's happening here, or how does it compare to current or past administrations? I'm sure you took things from different... Yeah, 
I, 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 w- um, I would say that, you know, having lived in Washington for almost a quarter of a century, worked there, admittedly, I've already told you and your, the audience, I think, knows that I'm a failed political consultant. Every single political leader I ever worked for lost. Um, if they did well, it was much longer after I was around. So That's probably most political consultants. Well, I, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> so that's how I got into writing political fiction, which is that, you know, okay, I'm not so good at that, or I'm, I'm picking the wrong horses or whatever. I say that to say, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, I, my novels are war games, in a sense. They're like, okay, let's imagine you had this type of leader in Russia or wherever it would be, and then how might the... How might the West generally, the United States particularly, how would they deal with that? How, how would they try to counter that threat? How might they miss that threat, right? One of the central themes in all my work uh, is pretty much has been to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk being blindsided. By, yeah, blindsided by it. So, you know, as I've said before, probably on this podcast, you know, uh, December 7th, 1941, America was blindsided by Imperial Japan at Pearl Harbor. We didn't just didn't understand the nature of evil of this regime. We didn't know they wanted to do this or could do this or would do this. That was a problem. Uh, same thing with uh, September 11th, 19, uh, 2001. You know, when we got blindsided by Al-Qaeda and uh, Osama bin Laden, should we have known? Well, we look back and we say, yeah, we should have known the 9-11 Commission their central conclusion was that the the, the attack of September 11th was not a failure of intelligence so much it was a a failure of imagination. We just couldn't imagine them doing it. What I try to do as a novelist is imagine worst-case scenarios. And so I have created an an administration in Washington that's fairly new, uh, a president that's not, that that isn't well uh, doesn't have a lot of experience, let's say, uh, isn't well experienced in handling national security issues, uh, somewhat controversial. I, I wouldn't say that this is our current president, but I think it's in, in some ways, you know, the question is, the question of experience cuts both ways, right? You know, some we've had some presidents that are amazingly experienced, and they've been horrible, and they've made disastrous decisions, and and then we've other, had other uh, presidents who've had no military. You know, Jacob, President Reagan, he, I, I think he served in the military, I think, but I think he made, like, training movies. I, I don't, we don't think of him as, like, you know, he wasn't John F. Kennedy, you know, in PT-109, right? I mean, he, so, you know, George H.W. Bush was a, was a fighter pilot who was shot down over the Pacific. That's a lot of national security experience. When he managed our way through the end of the Cold War, this was a guy who had military experience. He'd been the head of the CIA. He'd been ambassador to China. He'd been the vice president for eight years. About as experienced as you could be. And he did a very, very good job. Okay, maybe not on, ta- not on tax policy, but on, you know, defeating Saddam Hussein in Kuwait, driving him out, uh, and helping manage the end of the Cold War. But, you know, other people, that experience just didn't go well, and it, and it showed. I would say President Obama um, didn't have national security experience, and it caused a big problem. So I, I would say President Reagan didn't have national security experience, but he did a really good job at winning the Cold War. And so it can cut both ways. And so my American president here is not 
Donald Trump. But I did want to create a character who didn't have a lot of national security, national security experience and did have a lot of business experience, only to give some context. It's you know it would be different if if the book literally was about you know Donald Trump Trump's personal approach towards things. He's not that. But I think we're all heading into four years where we don't know what it's like to have a president who has never even held office before. So I did need to, I felt the need to have some element of, hmm, how will he handle? I, I go back to Putin. I think the presidents of the last, since Putin came to power in 2000, and I would say that under President Clinton, President George W. Bush, and President Obama, so far, every single one of them got rolled by Vladimir Putin. Like, he figured out how to persuade them that he wasn't a problem, and he was a problem, and they often miscalculated, and sometimes badly. And the big question is, how will Donald Trump handle this? And right now, I would just say, uh, well, he has a very curious relationship with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. The people he's appointed are excellent in, in terms of national security, foreign policy, but he has a, a, an odd relationship. I can't quite figure it out. We'll, when the book officially comes out, we'll talk about that more. But, I, but I'm watching that and I'm, I don't want to be a cynic and I'm not saying it was nefarious or illegal. I just don't understand why he's so soft. He's not soft with the Chinese. He's not soft with Iran, but the language of the way he deals with Putin suggests that potentially he doesn't understand how evil they really are. I'm not sure. Yeah, and along the same lines, you mentioned nuclear nuclear threat, um, but um, what's talked about a lot lately is the cyber cyber threat and sure. attacks on. Hacking and whether they influence the election, whether through the spread of information or right. actual trying to hack um, voting things. Absolutely. No, if, if you think about Vladimir Putin, you think, all right, here's a, here's a man who is actively trying to uh, disrupt and discredit American democracy, number one. Number two, this is a man who has invaded the sovereign country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia, the country of Georgia, former Soviet Republic, and still occupies 20% of Georgia. Uh, this is a man who has invaded Crimea and annexed it for himself. This is a man who has invaded Eastern Ukraine and continues to hold it and threaten even to take more of Ukraine. This is a man who has sent uh, military force to help Bashar al-Assad in Syria kill some 500,000 people and has either supported or certainly not opposed uh, Assad's use of chemical weapons, weapons of mass destruction against the Syrian people. This is a man who has is helping to arm and equip uh, Iran with some of the most advanced weapon systems that are known to mankind. This is a man who uh, is, uh, has, the Russians have helped build the Iran nuclear industry, 
which we're all concerned about, concerned is heading towards the building of nuclear warheads. This is a, a man who his, his, and his, his critics are disappeared. Journalists are murdered. They, 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 their bodies are found. Nobody knows who killed them. Uh, they, uh, his, his opponents are arrested. Uh, business leaders are arrested and, 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 and they're put on trial in the middle of a courtroom in a, in a cage. Like this, this is evil. This is a man who's essentially, uh, you know, signed a law to help to, to tell Christians you can't invite people to church, you can't tell people about the gospel outside of the buildings of the church. Now, this is evil, and nobody is stopping him. And the question is, where is he going? Now, if you write a novel and say this is Vladimir Putin, and I and I'm going to now take that and do all that, okay. It gets complicated because whatever your political view, your personal view of Vladimir Putin, now you have a hard time reading a story. So political thriller, okay, let's wait, let's change it up. Let's have some things that are sort of, you know, Putin-esque. Let's have have some things that are Trump-esque. Let's change it so it's not really. But let's let's now let's play out a story, and think, hmm, oh, that's not, you know, that could be a bad thing. Oh, that. That's part of what I'm trying to do with the Kremlin conspiracy. I think you, if, if people weren't already interested, I think they're, they are now, so. Well, I hope so. Now, part of this is personal for me. Mm. So, uh, my mom's side, as you know, Adam, is, is Gentile, uh, English, Methodist, Wasp, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. They're all, you know, they're, they, they're like, qual- they qualify for Daughters of the American Revolution. Like, that's how far they go back on that. Now, on my father's side, uh, this is a family that, uh, not my father, but his parents and grandparents, they escaped as Orthodox Jews out of Tsarist Russia around 1906 when the Tsar was supporting these horrific anti-Semitic pogroms where some 65,000 Jews were murdered during this period. Jews were raped, they were beaten. Uh, property was taken, their property was burned. This was a horrible time in uh, Russia, and so my family, by God's grace, was able to escape. And they escaped and they made it eventually uh, to the United States. And like any good Jewish family, they set up shop in Brooklyn, which is where my father and his brother were raised. So I have this Russian side to me. And aside that the family history is czar, bad, czar, evil, flee from the czar. And I see a czar rising in, in Moscow today and a solidifying power and showing aggression. And I don't see a lot of, I see Americans generally thinking, yeah, that's a problem. But there, so many other issues are going on, Iran, North Korea, issues in Jerusalem. I mean, there's always something to keep your eye off that ball. And, and I see people in the media and academia and, and in the political sphere who don't think Putin's so bad, really. I mean, the people I love and trust, and I sit down with them, and they're like, yeah, I don't really see it. Okay, well, read The Kremlin Conspiracy. Uh, just imagine, just, just as a novel, and then, then let's talk. Now, it can't, you know, the novel can't, you know, I, if I was going to write a nonfiction book about here's the evils of Putin, I would do that. But this is a thriller. It's designed to keep you up all night, 
until you start tweeting me at 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, cursing me because I've kept you up all night. Sounds that's like, my objective. It sounds like that's happened to you. It has happened, and I, I <laughs> love it. It tells me I'm doing the right thing. You know, I've told you before that I, I, you know, I write these short chapters uh, with sort of cliffhanger endings, and I try to do them so they're like Pringles, so you can't eat just one. <laughs> You know, and that's why you, you think, oh, just one more. And then pretty soon you, you've eaten so many Pringles that the, the can is not empty, but you have no more room. And luckily, if this is the first book they've read of yours, you, they can go back and buy. There are a books. dozen other books and that cover all kinds of other topics. Uh, but this is fun. I, 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 again, as an author, you've got you've to shift things up for yourself because otherwise you're going to get in a rut. And I wanted to be in a different locale with different issues. Still my themes, uh, evil and how you deal with evil personally and nationally and, and internationally, but I, I just had to look at it totally differently. And I have loved creating these characters and taking them into dark places. And this is, will this be a series? Or is this a standalone? No, this, well, you know, we'll, uh, I am planning to write the next Marcus Riker series. Actually, I'm here at Tyndale um, uh, discussing that, and I'm planning to get started here very, very shortly. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, how far this series goes, I'm not prepared to, I'm trying to figure that out. Okay. Uh, but uh, but there will definitely be another one after this. Well, Kremlin Conspiracy comes out in March, and people can learn more at joelrosenberg.com, and pre-order it, probably anywhere books are sold. Indeed, indeed. Um, it's available, and it will be available in hardcover, ebook, and audio. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to me today about it. Glad to be with you. Thank you, Adam.